Welcome to the Penis Project podcast. This is the place to come to find out everything you've always wanted to know about men's health but were too embarrassed to ask. Join physiotherapist Dr. Joe Milios and sexologist nurse practitioner Melissa Hadley Barrett as they talk to real men and the experts about men's private parts. Have a burning question you really want to know the answer to? Please subscribe to our website at thepenisproject.org and just ask us. Well, the greater the strength, the more time I've got for you. There's too much talking, texting, tweeting, posting. Too much noise altogether. In silence is strength and peace and space. Imagine silence forever. The Penis Project podcast is proudly supported and sponsored by PROST, Exercise for Prostate Cancer, and the RS Health Penile Rehabilitation Program. PROST is a not-for-profit charity set up by myself in 2012 that aims to help men exercise during their experience with prostate cancer. If you want to know anything more about PROST, including our online service and USB product now available, please just go to prost.com.au. The Penile Rehabilitation Program was created by Melissa at Restorative Sexual Health. This is an online program to assist turning software into hardware without leaving your home. This program was designed for people who live in areas where access to health professionals in this area is not available, or for those who are just too busy to attend consults, or even for those who just feel more comfortable learning at home with online learning and consultations online. For more information about this program, please go to www.rshealth.com.au. Prost means cheers to your health, so prost to you. November 11th. 11 a.m. 60 seconds, kids watch on the wall. So welcome to the Penis Project podcast. I'm very excited today because we have Dr. Tamara Hunter, who is a women's specialist and she is the owner and director and founder of Womb, which I'll ask her about in a minute. But the reason you might be wondering, why have I got a gynecologist fertility specialist speaking on the Penis Project? So the reason is, is I get a lot of guys who don't understand their female partners and particularly when they're going through perimenopause and menopause. So I thought it would be good for us to speak to a specialist in the field to maybe explain to us the what is going on in our minds, us women's minds, and so maybe give you guys some insight into how you can help or understand what's going on. So mm. welcome, Tamara. Thank you, Melissa. It's good to be here. Let's uh, delve into Pandora's box, shall we? <laughs> <laughs> well... A lot of boxes. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Couldn't help that. Sorry. So tell us, what is Womb and what do you guys do? Yeah. So uh, Womb, Womb Women's Health Hub is in West Perth and it's a holistic women's health hub. Um, several years ago, I realised that I was seeing a lot of women and then I was sending them out to physios and dietitians and psychologists and it ended up being really sort of truncated treatment. And I, I really wanted to create a home for women, a place where they could come and be nurtured by everybody. So at Womb, we've got gynecologists, we've got physiotherapists, particularly pelvic floor physiotherapy. Mm -hmm. uh, we have dietitians, we have psychologists, we've got a clinical nurse and we have women's specialist GPs. And so we're able to offer women everything from, I suppose, cradle to sunset years and everything holistically about their health. So it's a really nurturing and comfortable place for women to come. 
Yeah, so I've been to Woom and it's beautiful as well. Like it's just a nice place. Like you walk in the front door and you just feel like it's homely, doesn't it? It doesn't feel like a doctor's yeah. surgery at all. Like and that's what we wanted. We wanted people to come and sit on the couches in lush cushions and read coffee table books and have a nice cup of tea or a glass of sparkling water and just feel comfortable before they have to go and talk about uncomfortable things. Yeah. No, it's a, it's, I think you've definitely achieved it. It's a beautiful place. Thank you. So, as you know, most of our audience are men or um, some, some partners, I hope, listening as well. So, it would be really nice if you could give us, like, what happens to, when, tell us a little bit about perimenopause and menopause because I think often I will hear men say to me, oh, you know, we actually don't really have sex that often anymore because she's gone through the menopause, but they don't really know what it is or what the changes are or why their female partner may or may not be quite so enthusiastic to be intimate as they used to be. Yeah, so I'm going to take it back a little bit if that's okay. So women women are actually born with all the eggs they're ever going to have mm-hmm. and slowly over the period of their life they lose these eggs and by the time a woman is in her mid to late 40s, most of the good eggs are gone mm-hmm. and so the ovaries become really resistant. Um, they're not ovulating anymore and by not ovulating anymore or ovulating less regularly, they're producing less estrogen and as a result of that, this sort of state of hypoestrogenism or low amounts of estrogen lead to these symptoms which are classified as, as menopausal symptoms. And so the average age of true menopause is 51 years of age for a woman, but that can really go anywhere from about 45 years of age right through to about 55 years of age. And the definition of menopause itself is 12 months without having had a period. So it's kind of a a retrospective diagnosis. You Mm. sort of get to that 12 months of not having had a period and then suffering all of these menopausal symptoms due to low estrogen and then you're like oh okay now I'm menopausal Mm. so it's a it's actually a really difficult definition but I think probably what is more problematic about that is this this gray area of perimenopause so perimenopause is literally the time around the menopause and we define it as a time when a woman is experiencing menopausal symptoms and I'll I'll explain them in a minute but they might be just having really dysfunctional bleeding sort of irregular cycles it might be that they are having more frequent bleeding perhaps a usual menstrual cycle is on average 28 days but it might have dropped down to 21 days so they might be bleeding more frequently and then they might have two or three months without a period and then they'll have a big, what I call a horrenda bleed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember those. Yeah. <laughs> so they've got this really sort of dysfunctional, irritating, annoying, unexpected bleeding pattern in the context of starting to suffer with symptoms as a result of low or no estrogen. And the reason why I think this time is more problematic is women and their families, but more women themselves just don't know what's going on with themselves. They don't understand what's happening because these symptoms are just so vague and so general. So menopausal symptoms or perimenopausal symptoms can be classified in groups. The main group of symptoms are what we call vasomotor symptoms. So hot flushes. Mm -hmm. So that's the one that Everybody knows. Everyone knows about the hot flushes. Yeah, yeah. So more than 50% of women would suffer from hot flushes. And it might be an all-day, all-night thing. It might be just at night with a little bit of heat heat intolerance. 
a lot of women kind of describe just sticking their feet out of the bed at night time to deal with um, sort of their hotter body temperatures. Sometimes women can only bear having a sheet over themselves. So they're the vasomotor symptoms. Then you've got the psychosocial symptoms. And these are the ones that blokes often go, I, I don't know who I'm married to anymore. <laughs> so the, the irritability, the emotions, um, the emotional lability, so angry and sad. Uh, throw in there a lot of sleep disturbance. So mm. that could be due to anxiety or it could just be due to them suffering with hot flushes. Yeah. Then there are your musculoskeletal, so a lot of women will describe muscle pain, joint pain, crawling under the skin. Um, and then there's the urogenital symptoms, which can be anything from increased urinary frequency, urgency, um, vaginal dryness, painful sexual intercourse, and of course, straddling the sort of psychosocial and the urogenital is that loss of libido. And these things can just feed into each other, creating this woman who is just in this state of angst, not understanding what's going on with her, not recognising that she's actually in this perimenopausal period of her life mm. um, before being frankly menopausal. And I think that's the big thing is that we often think people are menopausal, like we think of people as, oh, they're not bleeding anymore so they've they're menopausal but really it's it can be that you're having regular periods so to speak and still be perimenopausal and I think we miss that women and men miss that there's this whole transition period where we're just not really feeling like we used to yeah but we don't understand what's going on and it can be months to years mm. you know you can be experiencing this from let's say 43 years of age uh, for five years before your periods stop completely uh, and that, that's completely normal. And so you can imagine that, I mean, I know in my, um, my world, there are still many people exploring fertility treatment in yes. their early 40s, not recognising that they're imminently perimenopausal. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so what sort of, how do you think people should deal with this? Because I think there's a real um, lack of, like, you go to your GP and this is no... Um, slant on GPs because I realise they have a lot to do. They need to know a little bit about everything. But I see a lot of women or men who say, oh, no, my wife or my or I've been to the GP and they've taken my blood and said, I haven't, you're not menopausal. Um, and I mean, I think this is a real problem because it's a real misconception. You can't actually measure this on a one-off blood test once a month. So how do you, if you could explain a little bit to that and how people should deal with it. Yeah. So the first thing to understand is that menopause and perimenopause, you're right, is not diagnosed on a blood test. Mm. However, I reckon nine out of 10 women who come to me for management have had a day two, day three follicle stimulating hormone or FSH level performed by their GP. Mm. Um, what is interesting about that hormone is that it's it's secreted in a pulsatile manner normally. And so you can take an FSH every 30 minutes, for example, and you're going to get a different reading. Yes. So it's a really um, inaccurate way of assessing. I mean, if you manage to catch it and it's elevated – um, that may suggest that the ovary is a little bit resistant, so mm. it's reaching the end of its use-by date. But generally speaking, part of the definition does not include a day two to three FSH level. We just don't measure them. So it's entirely about symptom presentation yes. uh, and this concept of dysfunctional uterine bleeding. So history is vitally important. And I would always recommend, and I agree with you, GPs have to know a lot about everything, I would suggest that if anyone is even thinking in their head 
there's something really strange going on here. I'm in my 40s. Maybe I could be perimenopausal. It's probably worth going and seeing a women's health specialist. And it doesn't have to be a, ge- a, a gynecologist. Mm. It doesn't have to be an endocrinologist. It can be a GP who has a special interest in women's health. Definitely. It can be a nurse practitioner yeah. who has a specialist uh, interest in women's health. But somebody who can sit down, go through all of the symptoms in a really detailed way, uh, assess the menstrual cycle in a really detailed way, and then perhaps put some baseline investigations in place, such as a pelvic ultrasound, perhaps a baseline hormone screen to see if there are other things that could be contributing to um, the symptomatology. Yeah, because I'm like, I often see women who will say, you know, the first symptom, I've never felt anxious in my whole life. And suddenly I've got this kind of anxiety and sometimes I have this feeling of over, you know, doom that's going to happen, but there's no reason for it. And it's just those, it can be quite nuanced, can't it? Like quite, you know, tiny little things that have changed, but you can't really put your finger on it. Yeah, I have, um, one of the things that often raises red flags for me is definitely that anxiety, sleep disturbance. Um, But often women will start to describe more headaches, migraine-like behaviour, and it's just literally due to the fact that their body is being used to a specific threshold, a specific level of oestrogen, and all of a sudden, every month, the level is just dropping below that. And so these symptoms just start to manifest themselves. So it is, it's about asking the right questions, knowing what to ask, and then putting the story together in a nice picture. So if you're in a a relationship, whether it's a same-sex relationship or a heterosexual relationship, and you're dealing with a woman who's perimenopausal, what what do you think you can do? Like, how can you help them through that? How could you be understanding? And and what, what do you think these partners could help? I think that... Empathy and compassion is key yeah. uh, in this situation. This this is a stage of life that a woman goes through and it's often something that is pushed under the carpet. Um, I actually have come to learn that it's a, a time of incredible growth and wisdom mm-hmm. uh, and yet we are shunned for being old and... Barren. Yeah, yeah, barren. <laughs> and it, you know, you're at the end of your lifespan, but you're not really. You're just entering another phase of life. So I think it's important to recognise this phase of life for what it is, a time of growth and wisdom. Um, so empathy and compassion is key. I think listening is important. Listening and looking out for sort of key clues that things might be changing for a woman. Um Often women will come to me and say, I've gained all this weight, my mood has changed, I just don't feel right. And I think if a woman, who you know, women are generally pretty intuitive. If a woman is saying, I don't feel right, there's something wrong with me, but I don't know what it is, I would, I would really strongly encourage them to go and get an assessment by a women's health GP or, or specialist. I think that's the greatest thing that you can do is listen, be compassionate, acknowledge what they're going through not pushing it under the carpet certainly not minimizing it this Mm. is a time of life if you think about it most women in their 40s they might have children that are either leaving home or moving into say high school for example they might be changing careers or moving back into the workforce they might have elderly parents Parents, that's such a big one they're changing their their life role from child to carer so there's there's a great deal of flux that is happening at this time in their life. And I think it's really important to consider that in the context of this and get them some assistance, get them some support and some help. And I think, um, and I don't know what you think about this, but I think also just being tolerant, you know, just being able to think, God, she's been a bit snappy with me or God, she's a bit, 
emotional about that rather than have a go back, just being tolerant and thinking, okay, she's probably at that stage. How yeah. Can I just like take a deep breath and go for a walk and come home and then try again and yeah. deal with this in a calm manner? I think yeah. just that tolerance makes such a difference. Yeah, yeah, definitely don't say to a woman, suck it up. No. <laughs> or haven't you put your estrogen on today? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So I think the other big thing is when I speak to men and their partners, they'll often go, oh, I know that I'm perimenopausal or menopausal and I don't want to take HRT. Now, I think that is something that's a real hangover from the 80s and it'd be nice if you could shed a bit of light on HRT now and how it is and what what, what do you think about it? Yeah, it's such a shame that it has this label as the devil's drug. Mm. Um so you're right, back it about 20 years ago, there was a big study done on menopause hormone therapy called the Women's Health Initiative. Uh, it was done on tens of thousands of women and they came to the conclusion in this study that um, HRT, hormone replacement therapy, increases the risks of breast cancer and deep vein thrombosis, so clots in the legs and the lungs. And there was this incredible media fury about the fact that doctors were prescribing these medications to help women deal with perimenopause and menopause, and yet it was actually quite harmful for them. And as a result of that, I reckon a whole generation of women were whipped off hormone replacement therapy, never to have an opportunity to go on again. And Mm. you're right, there. even though we've moved on generations of doctors, there is still this stigma around menopause hormone therapy being the devil's drug. However, this is, and this is the thing about science, is that analysis and reanalysis and ongoing analysis has happened on this database of women. And what they've come to the conclusion is that, in fact, women who go on menopause hormone therapy have no greater risk of breast cancer uh, or of deep vein thrombosis uh, Mm. than any other women. In fact, their morbidity mortality rates sort of 20 years on are exactly the same. And also there's an improvement in cardiovascular Cardiovascular, and bone health. Dementia, bone health and even colorectal cancer. So there are significant health benefits Mm. beyond just treating the menopausal symptoms. Um, so, uh, and of course, you know, all drugs need to be used with diligence. Of course. It, you know, yeah. again, it comes back to that history, assessing the risk factors. You know, are you necessarily going to put a woman who is morbidly obese and a smoker with a family history of deep vein thrombosis on menopause hormone therapy? Well, probably not without <laughs> addressing all of yeah. those other important risk factors. And if you are going to do it, you're going to do it in the least harmful way. We know that transdermal preparations through the skin are much less risky than taking an oral preparation. We know that sort of micronized progesterone is much better than your synthetic progestogens taken orally. So we've learned a lot. We've That's learned right. a lot. And I think the other the other part of this is to recognize that you know menopause management is holistic. It, it needs to be more than just taking the medications and mm. that's a fix-all. You know, you need to be doing the lifestyle stuff. You need to be addressing the risk factors like smoking and obesity. You need to be doing the, the weight-bearing exercise, which also helps with sleep management and sleep hygiene and so on. So I, I think that we've, we've learned a lot about menopause and postmenopausal management, but particularly so with regards to menopause hormone therapy. And, you know, I, I have absolutely no qualms once there is a really good history and assessment of risk factors to to 
um, to use menopause hormone therapy with most of my patients. Yeah, I think. And there's a really good article actually, I'm sure you've read it, but for the people listening, uh, it's called The Myths of Menopause and it was brought out by the Women's Health um, Researchers at Monash quite a few years ago now. But I actually have, they wrote a really good article for lay people. Yeah. um, And I've got that in the resource section on my website if anyone wanted to have a look. But I just think, as you say, it's really important that we don't just go, oh, I'm not doing HRT, I've just got to like, knuckle down and bear through this and put up with it for everybody, for your family and yourself. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, again, seeing a qualified healthcare practitioner who is well-versed in menopause hormone therapy, who knows the length of time and the preparations to use and the dosages to use, I think is absolutely key in trusting that your health will be well cared for. Now, this is an interesting – I think this is an interesting thing that I've noticed. So, I see ladies about their um, their menopausal issues, but when they come for their appointment, they pretty much 99.9% of the time come alone. But when I see guys about their sexual dysfunction issues, probably I think about 80% of the time they come with their female partner. So – What do you think about that? Do you think that it would be beneficial for men and women as a couple to go for these conversations with people like you about their perimenopause and their menopause? And do you see the same or do you have couples come along? Uh, I probably am the same as you. I would see predominantly women coming by themselves. Um, And I think that comes down to the fact that women, again, they don't really know they know that something's wrong, but they don't really know what's wrong. Mm. And so they come for that opportunity just to let it all out. Yeah. Um, and it's it's more often than not that I'll have women just sitting there having a, a good old cry, which is exactly <laughs> what they need, yeah. um, is to just let it out emotionally so that we can then lay it out on the table, identify it, name it. Mm-hmm. This is what's going on with you and enable them to put some initial strategies in place. Perhaps not the first appointment, but I certainly think it would be helpful, particularly if there's a huge urogenital sexual health libido aspect of this. Mm. It would be helpful for partners to come yeah. at, at some point. Maybe not the first presentation mm. um, because often it's just that ability for them to be unencumbered in letting themselves completely go yeah. um, that enables them to go, okay, right, now I've let that out. <laughs> Let's move forward with management. I think it would Melissa, yeah. it'd be really helpful for for couples to come together at some point. Yeah, and I agree with you. The f- and even when I see guys, I often think it's nice to see them occasionally on their own because they often have concerns they don't want to raise in front of their partner. But I do think that whole of them coming together is so important so that you can explain, like when you're, like the wife often might or the par- female partner might often have never said to their um, male partner, you know, it actually is quite uncomfortable now when we have sex. Yeah. She's never even mentioned that until they're in this couple situation and then she'll say that and he'll go, well, oh, why is that? And she's like, oh, I don't really know. And it's often I can go, we can easily fix that. It doesn't have to be painful just because you're menopausal. Whereas I think a lot of men and women just think, oh, they're menopausal. We just have to put up with it. Yeah. And sometimes too, just having the opportunity to explain it in very almost biological terms, sort yes. of the anatomy, the physiology, using some models, using some descriptors um, is helpful. Mm. Sort of kind of that object objective way of discussing it yeah. for both of the partners. And also, you know, going, well, it's not all about intercourse. You know, you're, you're both yeah. might be at this stage of your life having, he might be having trouble with his erections. She's might be having trouble with her vagina and what we could do out of course how can we go around still being intimate and still having a nice time together and experiencing pleasure without it all being about 
penis in vagina. Yeah. Yep. And I think and you just sometimes you just need to mix the script up because that suits your different stage of your life. And, yeah. and I think we miss that. If, you know, if we go off to our doctor or our nurse or our physio or whatever and we always do it on our own, then we miss that understanding of each other. Yeah, something that I often find with women is that real struggle, that sense of um, it's my fault that my libido's gone. Yes. Um, and, Doc, you've got to fix this with hormones. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes it's, well, as you know, it's a multidisciplinary thing. It's a multifactorial thing. When, when you're looking at libido, yes. it's not just all about the hormones. No, that's right. And it can be as simple as, you know, your male partner understanding that, you know, you might need a little bit longer to get going or you yeah. might need a walk on the beach and handheld for a bit longer before you want to be romantic and intimate in the bedroom yeah. because there's other things going on. Yeah, and again, putting it in context with, with what's happening at that stage in your life, other stressors mm. that are happening in your life outside of just what's going on with the perimenopause and, and the relationship. Yeah. And there are, for, for the people out there that are really, you know, have had breast cancer or have a fam strong family history and they're really worried about that, there are other treatments for menopausal symptoms that aren't related to HRT as well, aren't there? Would, so would you like to brush on those? Yeah. So there are a lot of non-hormonal management and, and a lot of the research around this has come out of the breast cancer population because... We know that chemotherapy can, particularly when started sort of in the late 30s, early 40s, can thrust a woman into medical menopause mm. after cancer. Um, and that can be quite a, quite a rude awakening <laughs> is to sort of go through your chemotherapy and actually my periods aren't coming back because mm. my ovaries have been knackered by the chemo. chemo. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very medical term. <laughs> but um, so a lot of the, the work has come out of, of that arena. So the main group of symptoms that tends to be um, impactful are your vasomotor, so your hot flushes. So a lot of the sort of the therapies, um, there's a lot of neuropathic pain medications, gabapentin, some blood pre pressure medications, clonidine. Um, even some anti-anxiolytic, antidepressant medications, SSRIs, have been shown to be quite helpful yes. for management of uh, hot flushes. Yep. Um, urogenital symptoms, um, again, it depends on the type of cancer that you have, um, but using localised low-dose um, estrone in a sort of a vaginal preparation is thought to be quite safe. Yes. Um, but then yeah. also using vaginal moisturisers um, can be helpful as well, pelvic floor physiotherapy, all of those sorts of things to help with yeah. those urogenitals. Lubricants, you know, just yep. a good quality lube instead of buying KY jelly yeah. from Coles. <laughs> yeah. like you really need a good quality lube. Yep. And there also is, um, you know, vaginal rejuvenation treatments like the yes. Thermo-V and the Mona Lisa, yep. um, which there is also more information about those sort of treatments on my website if anybody's interested. Yep. But there are options, I think. Now, and that whole keeping, getting yourself fit and yes. getting rid lifestyle. of the extra weight mm -hmm. and maybe cutting back on alcohol because alcohol yeah, alcohol and caffeine both yeah. of those things can really play havoc with uh, hot flushes and sleep disturbance and again those two things really feed into each other quite negatively yeah well thank you so much i'm hoping that we've got some guys out there going ah that's what's going on mm. and maybe we'll open the conversation with their partner so the the main reason i just wanted to have you here today was to kind of normalize something that i think has been secret women's business oh, no. and let the Shouldn't guys be a secret no mm -mm. not at all and let the guys know about it so thank you so much my really pleasure appreciate it and um any women listening please 
go and see a women's health specialist about any of these issues if they're bothering you. And any guys who think their partner might be going through these issues, ask them about it. But make sure that you're tolerant and empathetic and compassionate. Mm, Perfect. (laughs) Okay. Thanks very much. Thanks, Melissa. Bye. Gonna tell you about a boy who lives inside me. He's been there all of my life. Hi, this is Dr. Joe. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We're getting so many emails, so many questions, and so much feedback. And Melissa and I are absolutely thrilled about this. What we'd really love you to do, though, is to share our podcast with anyone you think might benefit including any man in your life. Simply download using your favourite podcast app or subscribe to the penisproject.org. You'll get a weekly email and new releases and this helps our podcast to get more people. And if you write a review and subscribe as well, well, we'll get known more widely across the globe. Meanwhile, let's keep the conversation going. Just a mystery to me my own now it fills me with pride to see him growing so fast into a man